personally, like entrepreneurship is about creating value. And being an entrepreneur and being in the startup space for me is finding my own calling. That was Lakshan, co-founder and chief growth officer of Hyperglade. I got the chance to chat with him about entrepreneurship, the traits of an entrepreneur, and what it takes through his journey as a startup business owner. From your experience, meeting with several startups, successful founders, like the founder of uh, Indiegogo, I saw it on your LinkedIn. What do you believe are the three traits of a successful entrepreneur? That's a good question, and it's a timely one. And I think there are numerous reasons, like, you know, numerous, like, traits and, you know, characteristics that, you know, makes a good entrepreneur. For me, one would be resilience, perseverance, and being resourceful. And to add to that, perseverance, like, resilience is, like, in you know, things are going to be tough. It's not going to be, like, a one-hit wonder. Like, if you're doing a startup that adds value, you'll be looking at multiple problems, and while you try to solve for those problems, you'll undergo like you know multiple failures so you have to be resilient knowing that you know like i i would do these things i'm gonna get there and then that resilience doesn't mean that you should like try to force feed something that means like you have to be flexible and yet try to figure something out because there are multiple ways to do things and the other thing for me is perseverance is like you know you keep at it day in day out like for success i mean you know like it's not just an overnight thing there's like a lot of effort goes behind it like a lot of thinking planning so it's persevering knowing that you're going to get there and being resourceful is you have to be able to get things done because sometimes there's a lot of reasons as to why you can't get something done it could be a b or c reasons it could be something you feel like beyond your control but there's always a way to get it done if you really want so figuring that out it's not a very exact science but an entrepreneur, like the ones who are successful, the ones I've met and the ones I'm, you know, aspire to be or like look up to, I feel like all of them have figured out at one point or the other how to make it like happen. So that resourcefulness is like something you should cultivate by putting yourself in uncomfortable situations. It's like you put yourself out there, you turn up every day, something's going to come out. You know, it's like, it's like a matter of like, you know, it's a compounding effect. So. I've heard this so many times. Get outside your comfort zone. Could you give us an example of some something that maybe you've gone through. Sure. I mean, just my personal experience is I started my career in finance. I always thought I wanted to be in finance in New York, in Wall Street, all that jazz. I mean, which was great. I mean, that experience was awesome. I like, you know, it to the folks who gave me that opportunity. But that being said, when I really like try to like figure out what do I want to do with my life, then I realized like there's a fundamental innate human need to feel comfortable, like in like a structured yeah. environment. And it's like venturing out. It's like, so if you're living in a house, in a cabin, you don't know what's beyond the woods. It could be a stream, it could be a mountain, or it could be like, you know, a nice sunrise or a nice sunset. You don't know. But you're always like scared to like venture out too much because you don't know that. It's like being scared of the unknown. It could also be something like, you know, that whole confirmation bias because you view the world a certain way and you don't want that view to get altered because you take that personally. Because that for me is one of those things about like, you know, moving out of the comfort zone. And when I decided to enter into the startup space, I had to give up like a relatively cushy job, like, an, like, like guaranteed, I mean, guaranteed, guaranteed I'm here to work obviously, but it's like, like decent pay. You know, you, you, you can see your life in a very linear way. It's like, I do this job for the next 35 years, have a nice house, get married, like have kids, retire. I mean, all those are great things. And you know, I respect it doesn't, it's not easy for someone to achieve that, but when I asked myself the question, what do I really want to do in life? I want to do create, I want to solve problems. That involves like a bit out of the box thinking, like a bit of risk, even though that all sounds cheesy, mm -hmm. is that that involves like playing with multiple scenarios in your head. And sometimes 
some things you could learn by thinking about it, reading about it, or like looking at other people and learning. But there are other things that you have to build into your DNA. It's like riding a bicycle. You know, you can't read a book about riding a bicycle and ride it. You have to ride it, fall, ride it, fall, you eventually figure it out. So getting out of your comfort zone is getting on that bike and willing to fall and knowing that you're going to actually eventually ride that bicycle. Mm. Yeah. So it sounds like it's like a psychological battle and as well as you sort of have to become a risk taker. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and when, when you're starting off as an entrepreneur, my advice is, when I say put yourself out there, just, you know, just give it a shot. You know, you have an assumption, probably if you're a first-time founder or a first-time entrepreneur, you're probably going to fail. And that's fine. I mean, yeah. I did like three startups before this. Some worked out, some did not. It's, it's part of the process. You know, you have to believe in the process. And then going through that is what cultivates. It's like a, you compound those learnings and those learnings lead into like more, you know, exponential understanding of how to be the society or how the economic machine or whatever you want to call it, how it works. It's like you compound on knowledge and experience. And that's what I would say, yeah. You know, something I'm learning actually as I'm going through this journey is the importance of actually your personal life and its impact on your business mindset of how actually discipline or organization truly plays a role in exactly what you said. So sort of compounding your success or continuing to fail, but to keep going. Yeah. Is there anything you've sort of applied in your personal life, whether it be the 4am club yeah. and having a cold shower, yeah. that sort of mindset? Have you applied anything like that? Yeah, I think... I have, I've tried to. I mean, 4 a.m. club is still a long shot for me, being very honest. I'm a 6.30 a.m. dude. <laughs> but I think that discipline, I mean, I mean, when you say personal, that's the physical aspect of the personal. Yeah. Like, because yeah. you have to, because if you're going to work really long hours, if you're going to work hard, you need to have a good, you know, like, I mean, I mean, it's ideal that you like, you know, train, exercise, have a good diet. Those are like things that you need to practice. So yeah. for me personally, I get up at like six, I go to the gym for like an hour, like a quick one. I didn't work. I used to work out a bit harder, but now I don't because I can't be tired all the time either. Yeah, of course. I'm a bit yeah. older now. So then also <laughs> you, I, I have like uh, habits like where I try to read a few things every day. So when I get up in the morning from 6 to 6.30, I would read like, there. if you sign up for some of these news articles, like which are pretty free, it shows you like what happened in the world over the last 24 hours. Yeah. And so me, I have like a three breakdown. Thing one is, at an economic level, what happened in the US, like the Western markets, the Asian markets, and African and Latin American markets. I mean, you could just Google it. You go to Bloomberg or Reuters, it's there. And you just sign up for their free newsletter. Yeah. Then you do something with like the tech crunch or information where you get, I mean, since I'm from tech, like I need to be aware of how that landscape is evolving, mm. like in a real time basis. So I read about a little bit about them. And then also like geopolitics, because I feel like global macro environment is important because all these things like, you know, factors in like when we make decisions. So that, those are some of the things I do. I go for a walk. I love walking. Not much of a runner, more of a walker because it helps me think, you know, clear up my mind. And uh, then I work out and I try to, my sleeping is still something I'm not that great at. I try to get yeah. like six hours of sleep. That's ideal for me. But ideally I want to push towards like the seven hour. This thing. So those are some of the things I've incorporated and I think everyone should like exercise, especially with our diets and our lifestyles. Could could we just go back to you, uh, sort of your like sort of reading? With reading, have you found that writing also helps? Because for me, I love to write everything I've absorbed and then sort of put it on. Absolutely, paper. I mean it's actually good that you mentioned that. I, I journal a lot. I mean, I, oh, I, yes. I, I, I just been, started that. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah. I've been journaling since I was like eleven. So what I do is like every like ten years, I go back and try to figure out what, what how like much my thought process has changed. Yeah. 
And sometimes, like, it's funny because I, I always have this thing like nurture versus nature. Nurture, like, in a human capacity, sometimes you say, like, 60% is nature or 60% is nurture. Like, there's always this debate. So it always, like, helps me do an introspection of my own self, thinking, okay, my 15-year-old self thought this is how the world should be. My 25-year-old self thought this was how the world should be. So that evolving notion, you could easily track it. And sometimes journaling helps you, like, narrow down problems because when you write it down, I mean, it's cliche again, you, like, it's, it's most of the problem, you can, like, simplify it. Let's move on to the second question. And that is when these entrepreneurs develop a business worthy of scaling up and need to approach investors like Hatch, um, keeping it as general as you can, what makes a business look desirable for venture capitalists or angel investors? And if you can, list three crucial areas for an entrepreneur to be aware of. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming the question is more on like a first-time entrepreneur just starting off, right? Yeah. Okay. So one is how you identify the problem. You know, like these are this is like a very standard approach of doing that. It's like how how you identify a problem and how you are going to solve it, the solution for the problem. That's like a key factor. Like, I mean, it's like you have to be able to critically think it, break it down into small parts and be like, hey, this particular part I think is the problem. Mm-hmm. It's going to solve, alleviate this much of that problem through my solution. So that's that's one of the things. And then you look at, okay, this is a great solution, but is there a market for it? Because it has to be scalable. I mean, yeah. it has to have an application. I mean, sometimes there are products and solutions which are nice to have, but not a must-have. So, I mean, nice to have tend to get like, shaved off in like economic crises to like market conditions tighten. So being able to break through like the prayer, like the lens of, okay, this is a surface level problem. This is a surface level solution. Then I'm going to mix it and match it. and just going to jut it out. It's, it's fine, but more often than not, an investor would see through that. And then also if there's a new, like if it's a new product and you don't genuinely know the market, you could be, especially the seasoned VCs or like seasoned investors and angels and, even corporates, they like take your side because sometimes these the seed of innovation or the ability to think disruptively is quite rare because especially in our country because I mean we have gone through a tough time yeah. so people you know that that's not a top priority but if there are folks like you know who want to do it despite all that that's special you know you should take credit in that and being in an ecosystem like just spend some time understanding how the startup world works doesn't mean that it's an exact science again it's not like it's the only way to do it but in terms of being in front of the right investors, just figure out what pro- solve a problem you're solving. And one of the best ways to do that is, is that a problem you experience yourself? I mean, because if you're solving a problem for yourself, that means you're its first customer. Well. Yeah. So, and you'd probably find like, you know, do like six degrees of separation and you can figure out your market size because market size is important. Like how much of a market, how, yeah. how big is this problem? You know, something I learned from one of my mentors was the ability to use design thinking. Yeah to uh, justify uh, a product you're creating, looking at the experience of the customer. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, yeah. That, that's, a, that's a great way to approach it as well because design thinking kind of gives you like a passage of thought of sorts, you know, it's just like you, you can break it down on, okay, this component is this, this the other. So it's one way to, to do it for sure. I mean, but when you get to the nuts and bolts of it, it might be a little bit of this yeah, and of course, that, but yeah. it, it's a good starting a point. Starting sure. point. Yeah. yeah, lean thinking, lean startups, design thinking. So those are very good tools to have because once you like explore those tools and some might work for a particular startup, others might work for another startup. Mm-hmm. So it's that's why I said like read up, use the resources, just absorb the knowledge, especially if you're young, you're like a sponge. 
you should put yourself out there, read, listen to podcasts, yeah. go for events, talk to other people, reach out on LinkedIn. I mean, there are so many inst- like you know tools at your disposal. So for a VC, they look at like one as even if the product is bad. To be very honest, they might not buy the product, but they might buy into the person. They'd be like, you know, this is a very resilient person. It's like if I give this guy, like, you know, how the whole thing about can you sell a uh, what you call uh, uh, AC, not an AC, like uh, what is that to an, uh, a snowman, like an ice cube to a snowman, yeah, yeah. that kind of thing. Okay, so, I yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot the exact example, but it's something like that because sometimes people are genuinely like passionate about what they're doing, and that passion is industry agnostic because they've figured kind of started with something and they've pivoted into something else. That's fairly normal because it's that adaptability. I think humans innately mm. are wired to be adaptive, but at a startup level, you have to be very adaptive and you have to be flexible and open-minded enough to pivot. So that personality traits play a big part. Mm-hmm. It's yes, the deck, the business proposition, those things matter, but the person, the personality, is this someone who I want to work with? Because if, if a VC is investing in you or like an angel or an investor, they're going to be with you and provided you're a successful one, you're, they're going to be with you for a few years. It's kind of like a marriage of sorts. So mm-hmm. it has to be a compatible personality. You know? If not, there's going to be a lot of back and forth and it just creates like unnecessary drama, which is getting in the way of you know, doing cool stuff. Many of these startups in Sri Lanka also may have started during COVID and they're afraid to take the next step. To scale up yeah. and, and, and looking at the world in front of them, it's, ah, oh, how would you come and assist? Would you support and to scale up? Yeah, sure. I mean, if you start during COVID, that means you saw like particular, you know, how society functions during crisis, how like to get a product market fit and go to market. If you can figure those things out, that's great. And concurrently, if you want to scale up, figure out, okay, I'm going to start with Sri Lanka. I mean, being, since, since this is a very Sri Lanka specific question yeah. as well. So, Sri Lanka is not the biggest market, but it's a decent enough market. It's like 20 million, 22 million people. That's decent size. Like you could test it out. Sometimes it might work, sometimes it might not. But figure out if it works, that means like, you know, it's great. Like how do you go to comparable other markets? Let's say, let's say they've already been in the local market and now they need to take it international. Okay. I mean, ideally, my advice is like get onto an accelerator. I mean, for example, I'm part of Hatch. Hatch has accelerators. There are a lot of other accelerators out there. I mean, even a Y Combinator, you could just apply if you really want to. I mean, it's free. It can be done. Just you need to like be very, you know, like uh, persistent yeah. and relentless in that pursuit. Like in your head, no is not an answer. We're going to get it. We don't know how exactly we're going to get it. We're going to start now and we'll eventually get there. I mean, that's my personal mantra and that actually not going to work for us. Like when we, when we started, because even our own startup, Hyperglid, when we started off, it was during COVID that we started brainstorming. We wanted digital artists to be able to sell their products to overseas markets. We were like, okay, let's do an NFT auction. I mean, that, that was just off the cuff. We were just testing a theory just to see if it works. And the moment we saw like a very strong product market fit, of course, like NF, we have pivoted from NFTs to becoming a blockchain infrastructure company. Yeah. But that initial, you know, like understanding of the market and its dynamics came by like doing it. And then once we figured that out, like that initial phase to scale up globally, we did a very small f- friends and family round. You just reach out to... Sometimes you don't need a lot of money to reach out. I mean, you just like, in our case, we raised about a $40,000 friends and family round. Just, you know, talking to my friends from uni, saying, hey, you know, I'm doing this. I mean, some people genuinely want to help and some people genuinely want to be a part of your journey because they believe in you, they want you to be successful. So you need to kind of surround yourself with people who would root for you genuinely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, human traits is such, you know, people sometimes not <laughs> like, you know, yeah, people you want get the jealousy. Exactly, that, yeah. yeah. So that's human traits. So 
shouldn't worry too much about it because if you're really going to do it, you're going to do it either way. So don't let anything else get in the way. So. I want to be an entrepreneur and I want to start a business and I, I'm, I'm on Instagram, on, I'm browsing the internet and I'm trying to get inspiration and all I see is in 30 days I can make a million dollars, in 20 days I can make a million dollars. Do you find that the world of entrepreneurship and I understand there are several startups that are doing good for uh, the climate, uh, society, through several ways. But there is also a culture that is, the call it the hustle culture, the toxic hustle culture. Yeah. Entrepreneurs are just joining it through digital creation or whatever it may be, just to make money. Yeah. What do you think about that? I mean, to answer your question, like for me personally, like entrepreneurship is about creating value. And being an entrepreneur and being in the startup space for me is finding my own calling or my higher purpose in life, yeah. which is to solve problems, which is to enable people, empower people. I mean, through blockchain, we're feeling like, you know, we could give like opportunities to some of the folks to raise funding and do their own stuff. Also like get some of these folks in front of like, you know, potential investors to like clients, like trying to disrupt and democratize a space. Like, so it's a more equitable society. Obviously yes. we're going to make money in doing that. That's just how the world of capitalism works. And there's nothing wrong with making money. It's just like, what is the underlying reason for it? I'm not going to pass judgment on folks like or kids like saying, oh, I want to raise money doing you know digital marketing. That's fine. That's what they want to do. Great for them. Yeah. But at the same time, expecting to do it in 20, 30 days, that's just a pyramid scheme. You know, you should mm. just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, if, if you are doing it there, then probably one is, you know, th- those are not, those are vanity metrics. You need to have a higher purpose in life. I mean, money's important. Money's great. But I think you need to be in touch with your spirituality because otherwise you're going to get into this rat race which goes in a never-ending loop. So ideally, the whole point of making a lot of money, I guess, is being out of the rat race and having that financial freedom yeah. to do things you genuinely care about. And that's a better way to go about it than just you know making money for the sake of it and then just burning it through. You know? mm. Because if you're going to make money that way, you're probably going to burn it the other way as yeah, well. Yeah, so. Of course, yeah. No, because I think, I think a lot of businesses, especially now, should be focusing on true impact, you know? Uh, empowering. I mean, for me, I want to really support Sri Lanka and the next generation of leaders. I mean, uh, sort of trying to build up to becoming and and creating Sri Lanka as a hub for entrepreneurship and success and opportunity. Shouldn't that be the true message um, a lot of people should be focusing on rather than, you know, just making a quick buck. Oh, yeah, sure, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it goes without saying because from a, being a Sri Lankan, like you being a Sri Lankan, I mean, I mean, Sri Lanka will always be home for us. I mean, we're, yeah. we're looking at accessing bigger markets, going overseas and all that, but Sri Lanka would always be home and we'd always have like that, you know, passion to make this a better place. I mean, Sri Lanka has so much potential. I mean, we have cliche, like, not cliche, I mean, standard things is we have a lot high literacy rate. But does that translate into actual work? I don't know. And then we yeah. also have like, you know, logistical hub of sorts. I mean, we're in like a busy sea route. Does that translate into more trading and commerce? Can, you know, much needs to be desired. So there's a lot of potential. So that's a good thing. And we have a lot of natural resources. So yeah. how do we like combine those? And then how do we like, you know, make it a more equitable society? Because having traveled a bit, I feel like Sri Lanka is not bad. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you know, the more you travel, I mean, yeah. it sounds like, you know, like I mean, sometimes I think... Uh, uh, Sri Lanka is a bit, you know, it, it has it has its moments, you know, it has its pros and cons. But yeah. 
Sri Lanka is a great place, and I believe in the potential of Sri Lanka. And I feel but like in the long know, run, in the long run, we definitely are going to, you know, make a mark. Yeah. I mean, if you take history of the world and you know all that philosophy, Sri Lanka has only been independent for seventy-five years. Generally, it takes about a century for a country to actually kick in. But that's a different discussion. Yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, like everyone, you know, should take pride in being Sri Lankan and just work hard for it to make it a better place. And As you say that, I think it's a great opportunity to have my last question. Do you have a message for? Uh, young Sri Lankans from your journey um, to take that step forward. Maybe they're thinking about it, but uh, mm, a bit hesitant. Yeah. What is your message to them? Uh, I'm just saying like one is like, go ahead and do it. Whatever it is, you'll probably make a fool out of yourself, embarrass yourself. That's still fine. I mean, no one's going to remember those things. I mean, not everyone is like looking at us as much as we think they are, but at the same time, it's important for you to have those experiences because you need to build self-confidence. And what I see in Sri Lanka, unfortunately, is like we lack self-confidence for whatever reason. And we need those small wins. Mm. Like small wins helps a lot because it creates a snowball effect. It creates a level of, you know, like we can mindset. For me personally at Hyperglade, we had to go through a lot. But we, like I've written on my journal, like we are going to make it like every day. Like... And when it translates, it feels good. And anyone can do it. I mean, there are brilliant kids out there who just needs a little bit of like self-confidence mm -hmm. and a little bit of boost yeah. of enthusiasm. So, yeah. 